In this episode, Tiziana Fiolia, CFO at Hootsuite, emphasizes the power of storytelling for CFOs, outlines the impact of great business partnering, and underlines why diversity and community are core to both her and Hootsuite's identity. Hi, I'm Ross, and this is the CFO Playbook where each week you'll get insights from world-class financial leaders to help you grow your company, yourself, and face the challenges required of today's CFO. Before we jump into the interview, we want to invite you, our listeners, to head to our show notes to find a link to our listener survey. We want to learn about how to make the CFO playbook even better. As a thank you, you'll have the opportunity to win your choice of an iPad or a Samsung Galaxy Tab S7. We'd love your feedback. Tiziana, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for the opportunity to speak to you today. Well, I'd love to start, uh, Tiziana, by understanding like you're obviously CFO at Hootsuite today, but it's been a very long and storied journey, a very interesting one that's led you across three continents, uh, seemingly back and forth, back and forth across lots of different <laughs> industries as well, let alone companies. So can you uh, talk a little bit about the long and storied journey towards the CFO role that you're in right now at Hootsuite? How did you get there? Yes, it's been a long journey, as you said, <laughs> over 20 years working in different industry and primarily in finance. So I started my career in the hospitality industry for a couple of years in San Francisco, and I found myself in the midst of the big technology bubble of end of the 90s, early 2000s where everyone was rushing to join a startup. And that's what I did, like everyone else that lived in the Bay Area at that time. And that led me to kind of the industry love of my life, which is technology. Mm-hmm. And I spent about four years, almost four years, working for a startup company called eBenefits. So it was a precursor of Workday, so mm-hmm. a SAP model, just 20 years too early. Uh, when the bubble burst at that point, we couldn't go and find additional rates, but it's a good story because the founder was able to sell the assets of the company and had a fairly positive outcome out of that, you know, end of a an era for that startup and that environment. But from there, I look for a job outside of uh, the U.S. I, I'm Italian. My husband is American. We didn't have any kids. We wanted to go back to Europe and experience Europe as newlyweds. But I wanted to work for an American company. So Autodesk, which is a company based in the Bay Area, was looking for someone based in Italy to help them with building their share service centers and eventually moving into a different role as a business partner role for Southern Europe. And I thought that was an incredible opportunity that led me to join the company, which I was with for about 13 years uh, in three continents. It was a Really, Autodesk was where I grew up. I primarily led business partner roles with them, although I started a little bit doing some of the accounting roles when I first moved back to Italy. But although I spent most of my journey there as a business partner, I was able to experience and working with different groups, go to market, sales and marketing, as well as R&D organization, product organizations. 
and doing that in three different continents really gave me lots of different perspectives. Towards the end of my journey with Autodesk, I also rotated out of finance, which mm-hmm. I thought it was an incredible opportunity and experience. And so additive for a finance professional that is looking to be a CFO later in their career. I joined the sales and marketing organization when I still in Asia Pacific at that point, leading the business model transformation in the field. And really gave me a lot of empathy and understanding on what it means to be on the other side, right? From always being in the, <laughs> in the finance realm to, to really understand what it means to be on the execution side of the business. So with that, I then transitioned into a new role with a new company called PTC, also in technology, software, moving into a SaaS model, led that transformation from a back office side, um, which we no longer call the back office, we call the front office in the SaaS world. And I also manage global business operations, which was all new to me. So that was an incredible experience to rotate into a role that was more operational focused, Mm -hmm. where I really had the opportunity to to learn and practice how to manage really large and lead uh, large teams, but also think about how digital and digital transformation can really create value for a company, Mm -hmm. even a technology company, which is pitching digital transformation to their customers. And so with that, I then moved into a new role, which is vice president of FP&A and investor relations with Interdigital, which is a company that does pure foundational research in the mobile and video standards. And that was, again, something new. So you can see a pattern with my career to I'm a curious person. I'm not afraid or fear to take new challenges. But I knew that getting that FP&A planning and analysis as well, investor relation experience was really pivotal for me mm. to uh, become a CFO. So that's where I went and do it. And thankful to the, all the people that along my journey helped me and sponsored me on my rotations. Out. That's how I got to my current role as a CFO. So then we arrive at Hootsuite and of course the opportunity to become CFO of a world-class company comes up. What was that moment like? So you, you were taking that on, you've, you've been there now for seven months. How has that transition been into your first CFO role uh, in the same sector, but a different company? And were there any surprises that you didn't expect beforehand? Yeah, it's a great question. I was definitely ready to t- take on the next challenge. So I felt that for a while. And so I came into the role with a lot of confidence, obviously, with, you know, humble as well to start this new journey and, and learn through this journey how to really be a, a, a great CFO, which is now my next ambition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and lead the organization, um, you know, lead the organization to success and build a world-class organization, which is really what I'm aiming for here. I think in terms of surprises, I don't think it's really a surprise, but I think one of the things that becomes more and more important as a CFO is how you impact people, Mm -hmm. right? And how you lead and how you show up is ever more important uh, in this role. Not just leading your, you know, the CFO organization, but also being a leader for the entire company and Again, not a surprise, but something that it's different, I think, from being in a functional role. 
It's such an interesting point because, as you said, that the CFO, and this is something that we touch on time and time again with different guests, is that the CFO is often the CEO's right-hand person who they rely on the most for like, not just to run the company, not just to manage investor relations and external relations, but also to be a sounding board um, for the CEO. Yeah. And so that role is a figurehead for the company, I'm sure, is something that is, that is quite apparent in, in your role at the moment yeah. as CFO. Yes, for sure. I think the way I see the relationship between CEO and CFO, it's really to be equal, open partnership mm. where we establish, you know, a trusted partnership, but open and one in which we are able to really talk to each other with no sacred cows, hidden agendas and challenge each other as well. But at the same time, be very united on how we communicate. That's, there's a storytelling aspect for both CEO and CFO mm. that comes into place not when we're talking to all our stakeholders. And that united front, that consistency is extremely important, but also compensating each other, right? Almost say the CEO is the glass half full, the <laughs> CFO is the glass half empty sometimes. So really make sure that there is that partnership and, and balancing act between the two roles. That's how I see really the CEO-CFO partnership playing. And, and when you're in a sector like technology and you've been through, as you mentioned, you've been through dot-com, bubble, you, the financial yeah. crisis, which didn't even get a mention in the long-storied career. And then, of course, more recently with the pandemic, how do you then take that approach of being the CFO and needing to highlight risk and be a steward for the company, but also acknowledge that you're expected to almost always uh, go through this rapid growth, if not hyper growth, um, in regardless of whether it's choppy waters or not? To be successful as an executive for a company, mm. CEO, CFO, you always have to build for the long term, mm. even when you're executing for the short term. And so even during time of crisis, I think it's always very important to not lose sight of the long term mm -hmm. and see what opportunities you have in the short term working with the cart you're dealt <laughs> with, right? But most importantly is really to stay focused being building a financial sustainable company. And so what does it mean? It's situational, right? In times of crisis, maybe it's the opportunity to invest or to dabble down on certain initiatives mm -hmm. or to make sure that you take a more customer-centric approach more than you would usually do, right? I recall in 2008 during the financial crisis, for example, I was at Autodesk and we were heavily relying on partners mm -hmm. in, in the geography I was in, in Asia. And obviously they had much less financial power than a company like Autodesk had at that time during the crisis. They were, some of the, our partners were local shops and cash flow generations is their livelihood, right? And with the crisis, their, their livelihood came into question. So we had to quickly come up with a plan on how to help finance their business. And mm. so changing credit terms. And so look at the opportunities that you have in front of you to continue to double down the investments you have through with your customers and partners. I think it's an example I would bring. And you touch on that experience out in Asia. And I wanted to talk about that today because you were out there for a decade during a period of, I, I can, that 
in terms of China itself, that China as a country was going through this incredible transformation and you were at a company, a technology company there during that period. What, what was that like as someone who's European by birth and maybe by education and then <laughs> spent a lot of time in North America, the bulk of your career, and but then out there in China with, and then of course in a place where it's, uh, I mean, it's going to be the largest economy in the world very, very soon. And it's created some incredible companies. What, what was that experience like for you? I feel very lucky and privileged to have had the opportunity to be in China from 2008 to 2017 during a time when the country was going through a really major transformation. Mm. I'll always like to bring this example just to get people to understand the the change that I've experienced. When I first moved there in 2008, Mm. there was not a coffee shop. I think there's one coffee shop in the five kilometers radius uh, from where I lived. By the time I left, I think there was a Starbucks in every corner. And so the middle class had really uh, profilers, had really, really, really changed uh, the Chinese middle class, really, really changed with all the economic impact that that brings into a country. Mm -hmm. From a a business perspective as well, I was there at a time where a lot of of investments were going into China from multinational companies, a lot of... A lot of knowledge transfer was also occurring and lots of companies, you know, that are now some of the biggest brands in, in the world, like Huawei, Lenovo, and mm. you name it, Alibaba and so on, were just at, not at the beginning, but some of them were actually at the beginning of their life. If I think back, one of the biggest learning for me or observations for me was the pace of transformation mm. was so much faster than what we experience in the West. And so that that experience led me to really be adaptable and flexible to that pace of transformation. That's probably one of the biggest learning that I, for me it's transferable as well, mm-hmm. because I look for that pace when I look at how you transform, how you accelerate, re-accelerate business growth and opportunities. I'll tell you, when I came back to the U.S., it was a little bit of a culture shock from a digital perspective because from my personal experience, we used WeChat yes. and you did everything through that platform, literally everything. Anything you can think you do during the day, 80% of that was you know done through that platform. And I came back to the U.S. and I had to use text messages again since <laughs> <laughs> back 20 years. And I'd imagine as well, actually, as someone who's a finance leader, even just the movement of money, um, and, and I'm not as familiar with certainly with the B2B side in China, I'd imagine it's more developed, but the B2C side is like is far more digital uh, and universal than it is in many countries in North America and, of course, in, in Europe as well. I think the whole digital money, digital banking, they're way more advanced in Asia. But it's been, again, that pace of transformation, because if I think about 2008 and when I arrived there, Mm. I couldn't go out without a stack of cash, right, (laughs) to do anything. That pace of transformation is being, again, fast. And that's something that hopefully in the West we can learn from at some point. So that leads me on to then thinking, you say you love that pace of change. And of course, again, that's something that that people will expect of you as an executive and a CFO. What are some of the ways that you tried to to drive like a fast pace of transformation? And what are some of the barriers that you see in, if we call it the West, but in you know Europe and North America amongst companies that stop us from going at the speed that the Chinese companies move at? Well, one of the 
the ways that I think about digital transformation for me is always how does it create value, right? Mm. So it's not digital transformation for the sake of using that buzzword, really, but how we transform our business to a, a digital business. What I was referring to earlier, that the back where the back office is no longer the back office, it's mm-hmm. the front office especially for a SaaS company where the first touch with the customer is actually an equal to cash, right? Not many people realize that. And so if you think about the digital transformation, digital businesses, how do we create value through the use of technology in our product, in our services? How do we partner? How do we collaborate? How do we execute for work? And so asking the right questions around what problem are we trying to solve how do we implement technology to solve the pro- those problems, but do it in a in a strategic way, right? So we're not going in and just solving for the low hanging fruit. We're going in with a, a more strategic approach. But then the delivery is bite sized, mm-hmm. so no no more of those horror stories of the past decades of ERP implementations, right? although I still hear they're happening somewhere. <laughs> I think that delivering through sprints and having that mindset, it's uh, it's what I think will drive the pace of transformation. And with that in mind, then, when you're going into, and when you're thinking about the teams that you're building, finance teams and so forth, how do you approach the technology angle of this underpinning that digital transformation? Is the investment in technology a priority for you or is it something that actually you lean on IT or the technology teams in your companies to drive? No, I I feel like I'm a, a key stakeholder and as a CFO and a driver of these transfer, transformation that entails a digital transformation because I think the value creation that it's embedded with such activity is really great. It allows automation and removing Customer friction, when I say customer, I mean internal customers. Mm -hmm. So improving the employee experience when people come into work every morning and they turn on their computer and they use their tools to do their job and the experience friction doesn't make it a really great place to work for them, right? So and then externally as well for our customer to ensure they have a delightful experience, a lot of that is driven by our own digital set up and architecture. And so I see myself as a, a partner with the rest of the organization in driving that agenda. And if we drill down, what does it mean for the CF organization? I, traditionally, there is always pockets of highly manual work, low value uh, added activities. And again, that goes to the employee experience. It goes also to the, the opportunities for improvements and really going towards that being a world-class organization through process and systems, right? So uh, very much focused on that as well. Your point on employee experiences is a very interesting one because it's come up again time and time again is that especially now where it's it's always been challenging in the tech sector to hire great talent and keep it. But I think now even more so, I think many people in the pandemic have had a lot of time to reflect and, and there's been burnout, of course, as well. But I, what I want to ask as well, like, particularly of you as a finance leader, is that you, you'll you have so, budget time and you'll have so many people that are putting things forward, investments that they want to make. And classically, like something that is just about employer and employee experience might not have as compelling a business case as it would do today. And 
And I was wondering, how do you view that as an investment for a company Mm -hmm. when you're investing in those underlying technologies to improve what it's like for internal customers? The first thing is, I repeat it, is about providing the best employee experience, which, mm-hmm. by the way, it's one of our goals here at Hootsuite to be the best, to provide the best employee experience in SaaS. So that plays really well. And that's why Hootsuite is my home. And I think we are, you said it, right, where we're, it's a tough market for recruiting and retaining, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. And providing our employees with the best tools is paramount, but also providing them with the opportunity to learn new skills. And if we think about the finance of the future, digital skills and digital competencies is one of the highest rated, right? Um, There's probably tons of study out there that talk about these and research that talk about these. But I do think even from an employee perspective, to be competitive and relevant in the future market, you have to acquire some of those skill sets mm-hmm. that revolve around technology. Now, I'd like to say something, though, that it's very, very near dear to me. There is no successful technology implementation if you don't address policies and processes, right? So providing also the opportunity to finance employees to acquire those skill sets around process improvements and continuous improvements is equally important, mm. right? And that sounds like it's part of the way that the the culture that you build within your teams is yeah. you want them to have, because you, you mentioned this and it was actually even mentioned in, where, in your, the announcement when you were joining Hootsuite is that one of the things that that made you perfect as a leader at Hootsuite was your growth mindset and the fact that you'd always gone over and above and had different interests, which we'll certainly touch on some of those later on. But is that something that equally you try to both look for in your team, but also build and nurture? Yes, it's. Uh, I'm very fortunate because this is already part of the culture of the company, yeah. that growth mindset. Some of our guiding principles speak to that, right? Step up being customer obsessed, go fast, be agile, play to win. These are all things that play to that growth mindset. So Mm -hmm. I'm very lucky that I joined a team that already has that culture. And so it's continuing to reinforce that and take on new challenges, right? And continuing to understand the customers and what the customers want and need, um, being customer obsessed will continue to drive that mindset and change. I believe that every single employee at the company and also everyone that works in finance is a business partner Mm -hmm. to the rest of the organization, right? Mm -hmm. So with that, you always have to think about how you can make things better. I'm glad you touched on business partnering because so given that so much of your career was in business partnering, at least the, the central part of it, I'm sure you've got some very strong opinions on what makes a great business partner and perhaps what makes a, someone who's not succeeding in the role like what how would you describe a great business partner especially someone within finance so a, a great business partner is someone that gains the trust someone that is able to listen but also that is able to have that conversation about challenging the status quo i, I mentioned earlier around the ceo cfo relationship almost being like a equally open partnership where, you know, there is no hidden agendas and mm-hmm. anything can be brought to the table. And so I see it exactly the same way at any level of business partnership. Through that constructive conversation, you can get to better outcomes. Mm-hmm. And so listening, guiding, and becoming really a trusted advisor is how I think you can be a really effective business partner, building 
personal relationship is key as well. Mm. It's just human nature, right? We spend almost as more time with each other at work than we actually do with our family. If you count the number of hours, so it's very important to have those personal relationship as well embedded into into that you know professional relationship. And then if I think a little bit more about as you grow in your career and you continue to be a trusted advisor, I think it's very important to do that more and more through storytelling and alignment around that. So if I think about my relationship with the CEO and how I become and I strive to become a better partner for him is to really tell a story through numbers, bring the numbers to life and really get to the why of things. (laughs) <laughs> and then if you get to the why of things, is that's the point where you support value creation, right? And value creation is, yes, could be financial value creation. It could be human capital value creations. It could be, you know, how do we really ends up being building a best place to work at the end of the day. In mentioning business partnering, it led me on to a topic that I really wanted to touch with you because it's something that you've, you're clearly very passionate about which is about building the team and then the creation of diversity within the team. And then, of course, one of the things that you're deeply involved in is about actually creating diversity in other fields such as STEM and so forth. So can you talk a little bit about your attitudes and, and like views on diversity, both within your teams and then more broadly, actually why you got involved with Full Steam Forward and was one of the co-founders for that because it's such a fascinating initiative. I'll start with one of the reasons why I joined uh, Hootsuite is because I, I think is a, is just a, an amazing company with a great culture and one that really value diversity, equity, and inclusion. As I mentioned earlier, that we strive to provide the best employee experience in SaaS, which means we want to be a place where every employee feels safe, feel welcome, feel value, and feels empowered to really do the, their best work. And that's for me personally is really, really important. And the tone is set at the top. Our chief people officer, Tara and CEO, Tom and everyone else in the ELT team have done an incredible job to build this culture even you know before I came in already. And and we do these through really through measurable actions. An example is that we we are pledged to honor equal pay. We have equal pay assessment every year, and we're very proud that we have achieved pay equity at Hootsuite. So that goes to the entire company, not just the CFO organization, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. We have a series of health and wellness initiatives. We have a wellness week off in in June. We support mental health through through various initiatives, but as well through our insurance packages, very, very focused on, on that as well. And, and then we really value community. One of our guiding principles is na- being neighbors and allies. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I think the real connection starts with community. That's really critical that people connected with their communities, company connects with their communities. Community should be one of the main stakeholders for companies, mm-hmm. by the way not just employee, customer, and partners, communities as well. And, and there is there's an opportunity for growth and learning <laughs> and, and so on with, when you engage with your community. 
So that's something that it's very uh, relevant at Hootsuite. We not only preach about it, we act on it. We are, you know, partnering with Pride at Work in Canada, the Black tech communities, just as an example. So really walk the talk mm-hmm. here. And the personal, the personal level, that's why I, I found my home here, because early in my mid-30s, I made a conscious decision that I didn't just want to spend all my time beyond my family time and the time I spent with my family beyond that with work. I also wanted to give back to my community. And that's that's when I started to really be involved with community. I led a nonprofit for professional women when I was in Shanghai, mm-hmm. came to the U.S. and I was searching for something meaningful where to spend my time. And a bunch of us during the beginning of the pandemic got together because there was a lack of PPEs and we had connections to China. We were able to bring a bunch forward. Fast forward a few, six months, we were very successful with that initiative. We had a nonprofit. We started to look at what else we could do with my co-founders. And one of the things that transpired was that the lack of funding in some of the underserved communities was paired with the fact that kids now were, were were remote, you know, remote schooling had really decreased the chances for girls, more specifically for BIPOC girls, to take on STEM or math and science classes. And when you don't instill that love for science and math and at, at an early age, like seven, eight years old, old girls, there are studies that show that by the time they get to middle school, they lose all interest in math. And that has a tremendous economic impact in mm-hmm. their life and in their communities, right? And so one of my co-founders had a for-profit a company that focused on education, STEAM education. And so through generosity, we repurposed some of that and adapted it for an after-school after programs here in, uh, that we could deliver to third and fourth grade girls from underserved communities. And we now have 100 uh, girls going through that program. Uh, It's heartwarming when we see the feedback that we receive from them. For me, it's really a dream come true because I'm able to merge my passions, which is technology, (laughs) and really helping women to, helping girls to, to get into a place where they have a choice at some point a choice to go into into STEM because they know what that means and they understand they have role models they can look at and mm-hmm. understand how their life can evolve and and what success can mean for them. It's incredible. And, and the topic itself of like trying to encourage and you're obviously working with underserved communities in particular, but for all girls, like trying to encourage participation in STEM is is a worldwide challenge. When many moons ago, when I was at Dropbox, one of the topics that used to come up time and time again was how do we get better diversity? And, and Dropbox had had a lot of good intention, but it was facing, particularly in some departments, particularly engineering, a real challenge trying to get to anywhere near even close to parity on gender, let alone on ethnicity, which was also challenging. And Having recently become a father, like I've noticed you, you become very aware of all the conditioning that happens very early on in, in a child's life. So you're dealing with it at the, as you said, at, at that stage of like seven, eight years old. But of course, so the so much of the conditioning happens even before that in the toys that, that children are given when they're younger. That's right. It's pervasive. The biases are really everywhere and we need to call them out, right? <laughs> we need to call it out when we see it. 
right? So you as a father, thank you for calling that up. <laughs> yeah, and and it is, it is fascinating. And I'd love to hear more about the Equal Pay Initiative because that like, that is another like huge topic and there's a lot, a lot on that, certainly in the news at the moment and different companies are approaching it different ways. What were the problems that you identified or Hootsuite identified and, and how did you go about solving that so that you could get to that equity? Yeah, so I, I think it was just a, a commitment that uh, this was done before I came here, so I mm-hmm. can take it. I cannot take any credit for it. It's all Tara and Tom and the rest of the leadership team that drove that initiative last year. I think the key thing is to make sure that you're measuring your actions. You're continuing to measure, right? So my understanding is there was a really big exercise that was done last year, a massive exercise to bring in a consultant to really look at where we were. And make sure that you don't lose track of that, right? You're continuing to measure and assess every year. So once you achieve pay equity, you don't lose it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you pledge your commitment to continue down that path and hold yourself accountable to it. So that's what I think it takes. And so then within a company, then, of course, you the, the team had already kicked this off prior to you joining. And of course, the HR people team will drive it forward. The CEO will always own something like this because it is so fundamental. What role does a finance leader play in helping to ensure that this is, is managed and maintained going forward? Or if any other finance leaders are listening, yeah. what role could they play in, in trying to create equity? Well, I think the, the, the first step entails a pretty significant financial commitment. And so probably that's one of the barriers for companies to start or barriers that, you know, that could be overcome, but uh, certainly it looks like a barrier, right? And when you, because there is pay inequity. So once you go and look at it, you'll find it and there is a cost associated to, to overcoming that. And so the CFO, I think, uh, along with the CEO, have to understand that there is a financial commitment and support that financial commitment in the long term with understanding that there is a you know a first step that will have financial implications. That's, I think, the best description of how a CFO can be supportive of those type of initiatives. And I guess connecting a few of the dots that you've mentioned here is the, the CFO can also help by telling the story to external investors about why this is the right move long-term for the company, even if in the short term it's going to require significant investment to get to that parity. Again, it goes back to creating the best employee experience, right? Um, We want to make sure that everyone feels that they're valued, there's inclusiveness in how we manage our business. And that's really important, I think, uh, in a competitive labor market to see what kind of company you're going to work for and what guiding principle and are putting actions mm-hmm. uh, should be a decide, you know, a decision factor on joining a company. And new generations value these more and more, I think. I agree. I agree. I think you, you can see that change generational. And you can also see that there are certain companies like Hootsuite and others that are leading the way, and that is acting as a catalyst for others to follow. Absolutely. And amplifying a message helps too, right? So be very proud of what you do and and talk about it because that amplifies the message. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, so Diana, as we're drawing the interview to a close, I always like to ask, like, for anyone that's listening that would like to become a CFO one day, what advice mm-hmm. would you have for them, mm-hmm. given the the path that you've been on or all that you've learned, so that mm-hmm. they would be ready for when the time comes and could be successful in the role? Be a continuous learner, always. 
any type of career progressions, whether in finance or not, really stems on the basis of continuous learning. Education, it's one of the major catalysts as well of, of success, but it doesn't have to be done necessarily through institutional education. Uh, you can just be a continuous learner. Be curious. Be curious and don't be afraid to take on new challenges, even when you feel fear that you might not have everything you need to be successful at the role. We all should take different roles when we're not 100% ready. Why take a new role if you feel like you can master that job, right? But just have that confidence that allows you to then go in and learn and perform and exceed expectations over time. Find a sponsor that building networks and sponsorship and allyship will help people in their career journey for sure. Mm -hmm. So be mindful of those things. And then I think the last thing is no matter in what role you are, be commercially minded, be customer obsessed. That is something I also learned throughout my journey. You can learn so much from, from meeting customers and in any role that you have, you can help your customers, even if you're an accounts receivable person, right? In finance, you can help your customers even more so than other roles. <laughs> so be really the front office and think about what kind of important role you can play to help the organization succeed. I think that's very, very sage advice for anyone that's <laughs> listening. Uh, Tiziana, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Ross. Thank you for having me here today. One last thing. We want to hear from you, our listeners, to learn how we can make the CFO playbook even better. Head to our show notes to find a link to our listener survey. As a thank you, you'll have the opportunity to win your choice of an iPad or a Samsung Galaxy Tab S7. We'd love your feedback. This show is brought to you by Soldo, the brighter way to manage business spending and expenses. With Soldo, you can control every expense, track spend in real time, automate financial reporting, and then use those insights to fuel growth. Learn more at soldo.com.